Six ways we saw that uh, Christ or Paul brings us um, six assurances of salvation to a believer. And the first one was that <clears throat> we, uh, a believer, um, has peace with God, and that peace uh, also brings. Uh, assurance of salvation because 
that peace is that we are at peace with God because of all right. got to be good for this rough start that we're having this morning. So let's continue. While the believer has peace with God and we learn that God was at war with us and we are with enmity against God. And through salvation, the assurance we have is that we have peace with God. And the second assurance we have is that we have a standing with God and we're standing in grace. And because we're standing in grace, we have access to access to God. And we, we learned about, we have hope, the hope of glory in God, another assurance of salvation. And we learned that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And the love of God uh, that's shed in our hearts towards us, in that while we were still enemies toward God, Christ died for us. And we learned uh, last time that we're justified in his death. And today we're going to look at reconciliation. What does reconciliation look like? We're going to try to explore that this morning. Um, and it might be a little long, but we'll get through it. Uh, so let's uh, read the passage. I'll read uh, Romans beginning in the first verse of chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into his, this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet for adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. In verse 10, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also glory in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask that you bless the reading of your word, and that the reading of your word 
brings our heart to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we just thank you that we have the ability today to come and worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask, Lord, that you would help us today, that you would guide in everything that's said, that all that's said and done today would bring honor and glory to you in your name, Father. We just thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to, we want to focus today on verse 8, or we're just going to back up just a little bit uh, to get a little traction to verse 8. But God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> while we were sinning, and while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. We ought to be much afraid to learn that we are the enemies of God because of our sin. It is our sin. It is our rebellion. And that's the reason God is against us. The unholiness of our life causes the war between God and us. This war with God is going on because He is holy and we're not. For us to understand what reconciliation means, we must understand that our rebellion is in our worship. If you remember back in chapter 1, men wanted to make their own way to worship, and they worshiped things that they made with their own hands. They worshiped trees and wood and stone and metal. We did not want to worship God in the way he, pres he prescribed for us to worship. Pastor Doug, the last couple weeks, has did a really good job explaining to us that God wants us to worship him in a particular way. We're not free to worship any old way. And he gave us some examples, Abihu and Nadab. They tried to worship God in a different way, and a, diff a way that he didn't prescribe and fire came out of the altar and killed them. Um, we did not want to worship God the way he wanted us to, the way he prescribed to us. Cain and Abel, remember them? That story in Genesis that Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to God. And Cain, they sacrifice was rejected but Abel's was accepted Cain didn't want to worship the way God had prescribed and his sacrifice was not accepted there is an acceptable way to worship God and Cain did not want to go that way we already talked about Nadab and Abihu and Doug preached through Leviticus 10 1 through 3 God is holy and must be worshipped in the right way. We are not free to pick our own way. You might say that that was the Old Testament, but we're living in the New Testament. Well, just remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira had sold a piece of property in the early church and they made out like they were bringing the whole price of the, proper, uh, of the sale of the 
property to the church to give it to the church. And Peter called him out and said, Ananias, why have you allowed Satan into your life to lie against the Holy Spirit? And he went on to say, he said, wasn't the property yours when it was your possession? Why do you want to lie and make out like you're bringing the whole value of it to us? And when he heard that, Ananias just dropped dead. You see, there is a particular way that God wants us to worship him. You see, it's the holiness of God and our sinfulness is not compatible together. They are not. They cannot abide together. And you might ask the question, which is a really good question, why are we not killed imme immediately when we sin? Well, that's where reconciliation comes in and justification. This is the reconciliation that Christ brought in his death. What is reconciliation? What is it? You might read that word and, and wonder what on earth does reconciliation really mean? So let's look at it. Actually, that word is, there's a whole group of words that are connected with reconciliation. And the first word in that group is a Greek word. I'm just going to be quiet for a second while I formulate in my mind how I'm going to say that word so you don't laugh, or you do laugh, which is okay. If we can't laugh at ourselves, we're in deep trouble. So, all right, here we go. Antamal, antelagma. That's my explanation of how you pronounce that word. And what it means is it's purchase money or an equivalent substitute. So one of the words that is connected with reconciliation has to do with, you know, if you go and buy something or you use something that's equivalent to that. You know, if you trade something trade your car in and get the equivalent amount of money, or you trade your life in and get what you've agreed upon is equivalent amount of money for your time working. So uh, it's equivalent substitute. And I want you to understand that because of this question that Mark asked, or Jesus asked in the book of Mark uh, about that. He says, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What's an equivalent substitute that you would give in exchange for your soul? And that whole passage there, that verse and that passage where Jesus is speaking, comes out of uh, Psalms chapter 49. So I'd like for you to turn over to Psalms chapter 49 as we consider what this word that has to do with reconciliation means. And if I understand anything about language, when they 
when they put an A in front of a word, that usually means the opposite or the antithesis of it or the negative of it. Um, and that's what I tried to pronounce for you is that negative of it. And we're going to see what that means in um, Psalms chapter 49. In verse 1 it says, Hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. So help me out here. Who needs to hear this? What would you say? I didn't bring my hearing aids today, so I, I can see your mouth move, but I surely can't hear you. So what did you say? One last time. All people, everybody needs to hear this. Okay, so this psalmist is saying this is really important. Everyone needs to hear it. All right, let's go on. Verse 3, it says, My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable, and I will open my dark sayings upon the heart. So this psalm was a song, psalm that they sang to music. And in this psalm, or what he's about to tell us, there's wisdom and understanding. And hearing it is a dark saying. So those are three things, at least three things we can take out of those two verses. That there's wisdom and understanding, and there's a dark saying in the hearing of it. Listen carefully to what he says now. It's a question, and we can learn something from it. Verse 5. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity of my heel shall compass me about? Do you understand what that's saying? Let, let me try to put it in New Testament words. Should I be afraid when I understand that I'm dead in the trespasses and sin? That's what that verse is trying to, that's what the psalmist is trying to tell us, that when fear, when we look at our evil ways, should I fear? Should I fear, should you fear when you understand that you're dead in your trespasses and sin. We should be extremely fearful. Okay? When we understand that we're dead, when we look at our life and we see all the sin in it, we should be extremely fearful. Now look at uh, the next verses there. This is a long sentence here, and I'm going to try to read it so it sounds like a sentence. But he's going to explain about what he just said, about being fearful about our sins and our iniquities. Verse 6, it says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. Verse 7, None of them by any means redeem. Let me start over. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. 
for the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever. That he should still live forever and not seek corruption. This psalm is not talking about the infinite value of our soul. It's not. This psalm is showing us that there is not an equivalent exchange or an equivalent value or money for which our debt of sin incurs. It's telling us that it's not that we're really important, but the debt of sin we owe is more than if we just gave our life for it. Okay? It's way more than that. Because our sin is against an infinite God. We can't wrap our minds around that, that, our, that God is infinite and value and worth. And we should be much afraid when we learn that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And what these verses are saying, it says, this means that my wealth cannot redeem my life. This means that the wealth of my immediate family cannot redeem my life. This means that the wealth of my church family cannot redeem my life. Okay? Let me try to move it from the material to the spiritual. When I thought of this in my mind, I could hear Bobby Bakken saying that. He often would say, let me go from the physical to the, the spiritual. Listen to this. The wealth of my righteousness cannot save me. All the wealth of the righteousness of my immediate family cannot save me. All the wealth of the righteousness of my church family cannot save me. And that's what the psalmist is talking about when he says that no one can redeem his brother. No one is able to redeem his brother. None of us, there's no righteousness that I have that if I could put it all in a thimble would be enough to save me from my sin, from the wrath that my sin brings. So that's what that particular word in Greek that I've tried to read to you means. That it's not that our soul has infinite worth, but it's that our transgressions are greater than we can pay. Okay? Now let's look at our word reconciliation. Catalasso is my attempt for saying that. And it means to change or to exchange. Or to reconcile or to reconcile oneself. 
Turn over in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll look at some verses that helps us to understand that. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to just drop down to verse 18 and we'll begin reading there. <clears throat> verse 18 says, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We need to understand that God does not need to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled. God reconciled us to himself. God himself reconciled us to him. Verse 19, it says, To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. In verse 20 it says, Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our sin was imputed to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And Christ's righteousness was imputed to us when we turn to him in repentance and faith. Just believing that Christ's sacrifice is enough. That faith to turn to Christ, turn to God in repentance and faith, we receive justification. You see, I want you to understand that reconciliation is related very closely to justification. Justification declares us not guilty, but reconciliation transforms us. Transforms us. And that should be a not only a great surprise to us that God would do that, but it's a great assurance that we can see in our own life after we come to faith in Christ how we've been transformed. When you listen to someone's testimony about how they came to faith in Christ, they tell about how they were before they came to faith. They tell about what happened when now that transaction was made? And they tell how their life was changed after they came to faith in Christ. You know, the first day or the first minutes someone comes to faith in Christ, they may not be able to list all the things that changed, but they know something changed. They know that something happened. 
which is a great assurance. And we, we may doubt that, you know, five minutes after that, but we know something happened. Something was changed. I may not be able to put their thumb on it and say, this has changed. But over time, they can say, you know what? I used to do that. Now I don't want to do that anymore. Or I'm doing this now and I never did that before. It's often a mark of salvation. It is a mark of salvation. It is this relic reconciliation that saves us from the holiness of God. We are saved from the holiness of God through the death of His Son to bring us to the place where we have peace with God. It brings us to the place where we're standing in grace and we have access to God. Sound kind of familiar? It brings us to the place where we have hope of glory in God. And it all hinges on faith. All hinges on faith to receive that justification. That is very surprising. We should everyone be jumping up and down, at least on the inside, saying, Glory, hallelujah, God has saved me and reconciled me. The act of faith is simple, but it is, what it accomplishes is surprising. The act of faith is simple, but what it accomplishes is surprising. That's what is meant, that is the power of God and the salvation. Because when a person comes to fight, comes to Christ, in repentance and faith, and they receive justification, and they're reconciled and transformed. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. We are saved from the wrath of Christ, the wrath of God through the death of Christ. The wrath that consumed Aaron's son. The wrath that killed the priest that tried to catch the Ark of the Covenant when it was trying to fall off the trailer, the wagon, and he was struck dead. The wrath that flooded the whole earth except for Noah and his family. The wrath that opened up and swallowed up those, those men and women that opposed Moses in the wilderness. The wrath that killed Ananias and Sapphira. The wrath that caused Herod to be eaten by worms in front of his people. That's the wrath that we're saved from. And if you feel in your heart right now that you're still facing God's wrath, it is the Holy Spirit working in your heart even now. 
calling you to repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. It's calling you right now. Do not turn it away. Do not bury it deep inside you. Yield to it. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. Paul said in Acts, he requires every man everywhere to repent and believe. And just look at that again in that verse. If the death of Christ does this much, what do you think the resurrected life of Christ can do for us after we're saved? If the death of Christ, while we were still enemies, of God. When God was still at war with us to save us, what do you think it's going to be like after we're saved and we're no longer enemies and we've been transformed by the gospel? What do you think life's going to be like after that? And that's what he's bringing out here. The reconciliation that happens while we were enemies, think what it's going to be like when we're not enemies. If the death reconciled us, what's going to be his life going to be like? Romans 10, 5, 10 says, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We shall be saved by his life. What a powerful statement that is. We're saved. The dead are brought back to life. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Through justification and reconciliation, we're brought back to life. We're transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. when you think about that, how powerful that is, and you think about it and what we're saved from, we're saved from the wrath of God. If you feel that you're still under the wrath of God, there is reconciliation from that. Turn to Christ in repentance and faith. This assurance can be yours. It's just simple. Just as in the desert when Moses made that snake, that serpent, and put it up, and they could turn after they were bitten by that snake, they could, the act of just turning to look at that Satan, that snake that was lifted up, cured them of the poison that was given them from the snake. It's just like that. We've been bitten by the poison of sin and turning to Christ and save us from that. Christ died for your sins. That should bring great assurance, a great woe if you're rejecting it. If you're here today, please don't leave this place without 
turning in repentance and faith. Turn from your rebellion. Repent and believe in Christ today. Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you and praise you and worship you and honor you for the great salvation that you provide freely for all who will believe. Father, we just thank you and honor you today. And Father, we ask that if there's one here today that you do that work that only you can do, and that's transform their life. Give them a new heart so that they would come in repentance and faith. Father, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's stand for our last song. Let's close out our time together with